I mean, no, it's not. No, it's, yeah, <laughs> like, well, I'm like, it's for a good cause, right? Like, no, well, like, what I do mean, you mean? Well, it, it depends on what you assume is a good cause. It's really funny. Uh-huh. Um, and it's a really, really cool, cool show. Well, for um, some reason, I thought it was a charity, right? Basically. No, no, this is we're making money off this one, oh, so good. it's going to be on Patreon. Gonna, first episode's going to be free, and then the next, uh, next five of them are a total of ten dollars if you want to subscribe to it. It's a five part piece. Um, it's kind of, um, and I got to remember the movie, but it's kind of an unofficial sequel to a, um, a project that, a movie that Tim Robbins made a long, long time ago about a Bob character and Bob Roberts, Bob Roberts. So this is, Mm -hmm. this is the unofficial sequel. This is what would have happened if he had become president. Right. So this is Bob. That's great. I mean, that's probably going to be not yeah. probably. I mean, that's that's going to be awesome. I just think like it's probably going to be huge. Is what yeah, I was thinking. We're talking Jack Black's in it. Isla Fisher, Patton Oswalt, uh, Tom Lennon, uh, Ray Wise, uh, <laughs> Ar- Ar- uh, Alfred Woodard, Alfred Woodard, Alfred Woodard. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. This is really cast, man. It's, oh, yeah, it's going to be congratulations, phenomenal. Jason. Thanks, this man. Is, uh, this is, uh, I know, I know it's been going on, but it's absolutely, uh, what is candy? What is hashtag candy, not COVID? Oh, I'm glad you asked Dylan, Dylan Riley. Look at this. We're just plugging everything, uh, Jason, this morning. We got to get out of here. So candy, not COVID is a, um, is actually a charity that we're doing. Anybody that's willing to give up going out and, uh, uh, going out um, trick-or-treating, I will send them a pinata full of big candy because I'm trying to make sure that people be safe this year. I want to I want to have a real Halloween next year and I want to have a really I want to have the potential for a good Christmas. But in order to do that, we got to be safe. We got to we got to socially distance and we got to not just go door to take our kids door to door because uh, we feel like that's the uh, the only way that we could have fun. So I'm offering free pinatas filled with huge amounts of candy uh, to everybody who is willing to uh, be candy, not COVID and uh, you know, just DM me on my Facebook. And that uh, is what Candy Not COVID 2020 is, Dylan Riley. And Al Napolitano, what up, buddy? I just thought I'd say that. Right? Nancy, I mean, hello, friend Wendy. We, uh, we, we're glad to have you. Um, and uh, I actually watch, over, I'm actually watching over Cliff's shoulder right now. He just doesn't know it. It's really creepy. We're on, you know, this, this podcast is coming from the same house. Yeah, that's a, that's always a good that's always a good gimmick. You're not alone. It's a whole, yeah, like oh no, I killed everybody in your house. Oh yeah, everybody with yeah. with some of the you know some of just the random things like I don't know a table leg or a <laughs> well, but by the way, a, a, a plate with a nail in it, whatever. And then they'll just leave them sitting outside in front in a in a pile. Like here's the three murder weapons I used or we used to. To oh is oh wait wait I'm talking about something else now. Now you are, and <laughs> I, before we get into it, because I'm really excited to have Mark on here because this show is freaking awesome. Oh, yeah. I've been using Mark's the word Merling. Mark Smerling is here, and he's going <laughs> to yes. talk about uh, uh, one of this really fat, most fascinating uh, true crime stories I've Wonder heard in a long time. Because and I hear a lot of true crime. Oh, you didn't know about this? No, I mean I don't know all these things all the time. Like but my wife a is a true book. crime expert. Yeah, I know. In the day. but I don't do the. Like this is my wife's field, and so oh, I'm trying. I, I get into it. Like I know about the big ones, and 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 this is even though this is a big one. But the this thing is a huge been, one. But the thing that I've been doing the most, is the thing one. that I've been doing most, is walking around the house going hippies, goddamn hippies. Because that's like <laughs> for the first two episodes, you just hear that so much. Those goddamn hippies. <laughs> I was like, at first time I heard it, I was like, there's hippos in this thing? And it's like, no, it's goddamn yeah, hippies. Hippies, hippies. hippies. Well, we've had a lot of hippie stuff lately with the Manson. And, and you know what? This is correlated. So we should probably, wait, did you did you want to, did I? No, go ahead. Do please. Okay, no, no, no. Yeah. I'm saying, so we should just get into it because the writer creator of this uh, four, five, four, four part, four part, I can talk today, documentary <laughs> on FX. Hulu. Five parts, five parts. It's five? Yep. 
Oh, so we have to wait two more weeks? I thought hip us. Or do we yeah, get double hip over at FX aren't releasing it all at once. I know they 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 understand it's an event and it's on FX and Hulu and it is called Wilderness of Error and let's just get them on ladies and gentlemen Mark Smerling yes yeah hello Mark how are you buddy good I'm good thank you anyone ever tell you, you look like Marty Scorsese uh, just because of the glasses is that it yeah I bought the glasses <laughs> just because they look like Marty's. I might have to ask you offline where you got those I want them too maybe I'll start to assimilate. Thank you for being here, buddy, and congratulations on the uh, on the success of this of this show. Um, how why why did you Wilderness of Error? What made you want to get into this labyrinth? Because I remember this for a long time. This was a best selling crime story, and now again, you decide to dive into this and find a bunch of interesting stuff. So, can you just give us some background first to people who don't understand what's going on? Yeah. So basically, this story has been told many times. Most Successfully, I think, in Joe McGinnis's book, Fatal Vision, which was in the 80s. And it was uh, made into a TV series with Carl Malden, Yves Saint Marie. I think the night it aired, it, it, it attracted 65 million viewers. You can't do that these days. But back then, they only had three or four TV stations. But, uh, it was the biggest news. It was huge. And then, you know, over the years, many other people wrote books about it. There are multiple TV movies on ID. And the last book to be written about it was by the filmmaker Errol Morris. Right. And uh, he's a documentary filmmaker. I'm sure you know who he is. And yeah. uh, Thin Blue Line and uh, Fog of War, right? Yes. He won the Academy Award for Fog of War. Something like that, right? It was the year that I was up for an Academy Award. So I don't know if he really understood that when we started doing this together. <laughs> so, um, That's awesome. <laughs> Thank you for saying that. Go on. He won it. It's okay. Um, anyway, so so he, I read his book, Jason Blum from Blumhouse had sent me the book mm -hmm. after the jinx. And, um, and I read it and I thought it was a, it was an interesting story, but for me, it was really about how the story had been told so many times and where reality met sort of storytelling mm -hmm. you know? and all these stories were going in different directions, innocence, guilt, you know, and I just figured that if I slowed it down and I went back and I talked to everybody who was available to talk and, I read all the transcripts and I figured out a way to put the viewer into the story through recreation. Maybe we could straighten it all out. Okay. So let's, let's give the, um, the basic bulletin points. You got this green beret, right? Jeffrey McDonald. Is that his name? Right. He was an all American guy. He was captain of his football team on long Island. He joined the army. He was a, he was a doctor, he went to Princeton. Uh, he went to, uh, I mean, he was, he was sort of what, Back in the, it was the 1970s. So in the 70s, he was everything every, every mother wanted, you know. Oh, the guy's a stud and he's a Green Beret. Yeah, he was a Green Beret jumping out of planes. And um, one night his family was attacked. He was attacked as well. This is what he said. And uh, he had a small puncture wound in his chest. And um, his family was just brutally murdered, beaten and stabbed multiple times. And uh, he said hippies came into the house and attacked him, a la Manson. It was just months after the Manson murders. Hippies. Hippies. <laughs> yeah. And they, and they wrote pigs on the wall. He actually never said the word hippies. To, you know, never he said that sort of got picked up. And of course, I should probably never say the word hippies. He said that you know, people who look like what we know as hippies had come into his house and attacked him. It was soon after the Manson, so it seemed plausible. Uh, but very quickly, the Army investigators decided that he had murdered his family. They put him, they had an investigative hearing and a woman came forward, a 17 year old girl from a nearby Fayetteville off Fort Bragg. 
and said, and she didn't come to the hearing, but people talked about her confessing. The army had sort of screwed up the investigation. Um, I don't know if they screwed it up terminally, but they, they had trampled through the house yep. and, um, and he was left free by the army and his father-in-law, his wife's uh, father, he originally believed that Jeffrey was innocent, mm-hmm. but then he came to believe from reading the army transcripts of the hearing that he was guilty and it took him nine years, but he got a indictment and they tried him in 1979 in a federal court, civilian court, and he was found guilty and he's still in prison today. I think he's one of the longest sitting federal prisoners. Okay. So let's start unpacking this. So, so for the first thing I really want to ask you, Mark, hope you don't have anywhere to be. Five episodes to unpack this one. <laughs> well, we got two more, right? Are we getting two on Friday? Is that what's happening? Yeah, I guess that's awesome. FX is sort of putting this stuff up and moving it to Hulu, trying to trying to move people to Hulu. Yeah, well, that's where I watch it. I watch it on Hulu. I mean, it's great. Yeah, it, it's fantastic. I, yeah. I blow, I blow through it. It's like I went through three episodes. It felt like four minutes, and then I was like, "What do you mean? There's no more episodes?" So, yeah. okay, no not uh, commercials, but no commercials. No commercials for me. Yeah, I just blow through it. Okay, wait. So <laughs> let's start with this. First of all, the, the first question I really want to go back to is why. I mean, I understand that you're going to tell this. You know, the, you're basically do what you start with, right? Is this idea of uh, of doing an autopsy on how the media can conflate and confuse any of these cases, and how many times can you tell something? And then, did you find something else in in it? Yeah, I mean, you, to do this, when I went to see Errol, I said to him, "We're going to have to do a pretty deep dive and go back and try to talk to everybody and really dig into the investigation, because you can't really make a show like this without understanding it." all the way through and hopefully finding some new stuff. And I, I feel like in these two episodes that are coming up, we really, we really go into Helena Stokely, the young girl who was, who over oh, years confessed that she was in the house in 1979 at the trial, she said she couldn't remember. Um, but, but she confessed serially multiple in times interview, which is in the, in the show. Um, and she's a fascinating character. And unless you understand her, you don't understand how this all happened because she's sort of the train that pulls the story, right? She's somebody out there in the, in the distance pulling this innocence train. And if you don't understand her, you, you can't really figure out what the truth is. Yeah. And I think that that's one of the many things that you really latched upon and, and are putting a spotlight on. That's, that's fascinating. Also get sitting down with the prosecutor, Cliff, who said, he, he like, why is no one ever said he says, no one ever asked. Yeah. That, that blew me away, actually. I was shocked that no one ever asked to sit down with him. Yeah. Well, if you're not talking to everybody that's available, then you're not really doing the job, right? So ultimately, right. he's a very important part of the story because he was the first investigator, so to speak. He was the original prosecutor. And I, I think he has a institutional knowledge of the facts. Oh, yeah. He's a very believable source as you listen to him and, and he pulls his thread. So, okay, what we have to understand also is that these are two tiny little girls and you know, his daughter, one's two and one's five, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, they're precious. And on top of it, you've never seen this guy be mean allegedly, right? That's what everybody said, you know? So now there's all these inconsistencies. Why are the bodies on the side? And, Freddie, who Freddie is his father-in-law's name. This is a guy who testified, right, at his 32B trial. Yes, he testified for him, saying that he could never have done it. Exactly. And this trial, and and you see there was a lot of BS in the trial, right, with those uh, paperwork that you got into where you saw that meeting that guy's like, well, it 
says I was there, so I was there. Yeah. Well, there's also it was a, it was a hard time for the army, and you know they my lay the trial my lay was soon after this. The army was under scrutiny by the public in a major way. It was the Vietnam War, and the army was perceived as corrupt, and you know and perceived. Right. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> all this comes this horrible murder, and I think they really wanted to just get it over with. They wanted to move on. Yes. And I mean, and it is the all American family. And on top of that, so I want to be clear about something. Uh, Fort Bragg, which I'm very familiar with, though, he's living on base, correct? Yeah. But back then there, you could just the base was open. You could the just, housing yeah. part. Yeah. Yeah. The whole base really open back then. There was no there were guard stations, but you could drive right on base in a million different ways. Well, that's very interesting. Yeah. OK. So there was really a, a lapse in security at that point. Well, the lapse in security, I think, is they didn't close down the, the base, the exits after the murders. They, you know, they didn't really get to closing down the exits until three or four hours after the murders. So if there was somebody else who attacked the McDonald family, they could easily have slipped out. Right. If there was. So he's saying that how many guys was it? Three guys or two guys? Three guys and yep. a woman in a floppy hat, one black man and two Right. So it's diversified. we got a female, we have a black man, we have two white guys. I mean, it is a very uh, clever story. Um, that being said, let me ask you this. Is this the first, one of the first things that goes through your mind? Um, why don't they, I mean, why is the guy who's the biggest threat, the guy who only has minor wounds? I mean, there's, there's a way to look at, this is a prism, okay? If yep. you turn the prism, you know, you can see all types of different things. So he says he fell asleep on the couch in the living room. The, the apartment was long and thin. He says they came through the back door, right into the master bedroom, the laundry room, right through the laundry room, the master bedroom. There's a, there's a chance that they didn't get to him until much later because they were, but you know, he was sleeping. And then when they finally came to the living room, they ran away. They had a struggle and they ran away. That's, that's one way to look at it. Had anyone ever recreated the amount of sounds that would be for someone to sleep through? Yeah. They yeah, did? sounds in the neighbors. I mean, there's people living upstairs, people living next door. Um, nobody heard a thing. So you'd have to be a ninja. <laughs> you'd have to be hippie ninjas. Hippie ninjas, right. Okay. So so now, but there is this female that was caught off base. There's this Nashville uh, detective who had arrested this woman. She's a definitely a, a, a free love woman who's into drugs. And, uh, you know, she's roaming around. And... Okay, so now she enters, and she keeps entering. What, what do you think's going on here? Well, either she was in the house, or mm -hmm. she's one of the many confessors that come forward when things happen like this that are publicized. I mean, this, this got a lot of publicity. Every night, Walter Cronkite on the CBS News would talk about what was going on in the McDonald hearings down in Fort Bragg. So, you know, I remember doing a, a story about the RFK assassination and getting into the files, and there was a notebook this thick of people who confessed to being part of conspiracy in that in that in that murder. You know, when wow. things finally publicized, there are people who come forward uh, who, for some reason, want to be part of it. Right. It's the same people who marry serial killers in jail. But why is it her? Well, in other words, what is the credibility? What is the plausibility? You know, she knows the inside of the house. Like she's just another crazy person, aka maybe not. Well, if I told you that, you wouldn't watch the next two episodes. So that's, well, that's where I'm trying to get you to, man. In the, in the last two episodes, we go through that her process the night night of the murders. 
We talked to her family. We talked to her roommate, where she, who she was living with, who she came home to that night. And you learn a lot about her mindset that night. And this Fayetteville detective, who was, she was an informant for him, a drug, he was a narcotics detective. The Nash guy? Fits into this story. You're talking about the Nash guy? The, uh... the Nashville guy was the guy who picked her up because she moved after the McDonald murders to Nashville, where she continued to sell drugs and, and take drugs. And then she got picked up on a drug charge up there. And of course, she said, well, you know, I'm part of this murder that down in Fayetteville, North Carolina. And of course, the arrest on the drug charge stops. And now she's uh, she's being questioned on this other murder. This is the thing now. So, so okay, so here's the other thing. When you started unpacking this case for you, and the first thing you hear is that the girl, the little girl, has a head wound and then stab wounds. The first thing I think is that's someone who had to get her unconscious so then they could kill her after, so they didn't have to, like, she's already dead and not feeling it. That felt like a dad to me. Did yeah. you think that at all? Um, no, because if you were, you know, crazed hippies trying to attack a family, uh, you might just, you know, and one's got a club and one's got a knife, and one's got an ice pick. You might go at it in a way where, you know, you could have multiple types of wounds. Um, I think for me, it's the, the prism. Yeah. I think it, for me, there's, there's things that, that are hard to explain, which is in the first episodes, which is the blood in the house where the blood fell. Um, in other words, let's be clear. His blood in the kitchen when it shouldn't have been there, correct? Yeah, he'd never gone to, into the kitchen. And the surgical glove, the finger of it, right, that had his blood on it. It had Colette's blood on it, actually. Col oh, sorry, Colette's blood on it. In yeah. the kitchen under the little ledge there, right? Well, they found reg remnants of a surgical glove with Colette's blood on it in the master bedroom where Colette was found, where, where the word pig was written in her blood on the headboard. And the, they found a box of rubber gloves underneath the sink. Okay, that's where they, okay, so I confused that. Yeah. Um, so the hippies uh, either had the, uh, the state of mind or the forethought to be like, hey, maybe this guy has some gloves and let's use it on the one finger we're going to write pig on the wall. Or they brought their own surgical gloves. I know right. it happened to be them. He was a doctor. Right. So again, you know, but is there, you know, do you have another way of looking at that? And is that what we're going to see in the next two episodes that you can't tell me about? Um, we go through the, well, you've seen a little bit, if you watch the first episodes, we go through the crime, uh, the night of the crime multiple times. And as you learn more information, we, we add pieces to that visually to tell this story. Because I don't think you could really explain this story without recreating the crime in some ways. Where is everybody in the house? What's happening? In his story, he's moving through the house, moving bodies, blood is being spread about the house. The fibers, his pajama fibers play very largely. The pajama top is a big part of it. You know, this pajama top that he wore that ended up on his wife's body punctured with 40 ice pick holes. You know, that was very hard to explain. You know, he had four ice pick holes in his body. She had 26 ice pick holes in her body. So, you know, all these things become part of it. But then, you know, there's, there is, you know, I have to tell you, we, we built that apartment. Well, I want to stop you because I, I, I wanted to say, first of all, like congratulations into the word, but like what a great job, like building the, you did like a, what a 2d cat, like, and you did like a, a, a model of it for the credits, right? So you're looking down into the house without a roof. It's yeah. fantastic. I always thought of it as a little of a dollhouse because, you know, and a diagram, because that's how they did all the diagrams because mm. there's been so many dolls moved around that house and put in different positions. Mm. Um, and I also wanted the, 
the viewer to know that this is a recreation. You know, I didn't want anybody to think we were doing something, you know, obviously it's a recreation, but you know, it's good to pull the camera back a little bit. Yeah. And it also, but, but there's a lot of movement in this small little, you know, military uh, given home and, uh, you know, to understand it is the key to the, what's happening. And I'm telling you, we walked through it, me and the story producers and, you know, played the roles and tried to figure out the order of events and what made the most sense. And there are probably 30 variations that you could explain the blood. You could explain all this stuff. I mean, wow. uh, you know, it's a, it's a hard one to explain because only Jeffrey knows exactly what happened in that house. Mm -hmm. but there's a lot of physical evidence in the house that doesn't support Jeffrey's story event. Well, you know, I think for me and watching it in the first three episodes, you know, I was seeing the prism that you were creating without a doubt. And then comes Dick Cavett. Yeah. It's not, you know, it's not imaginary, that turn. I mean, you're watching that. That is not something. I mean, you could say maybe you're not in your right mind. What would you do if you lost your wife and two kids? There's that. But that didn't yeah. seem like something I would do. Yeah. Yeah, well, there was a big movement by Freddie and, and Jeff following Freddie to publicize the murders because the, the uh, army dropped the case basically after the Article 32. They always believed, believed it was Jeffrey. They lost. They weren't pursuing it anymore. So Freddie wanted the federal government to take over the FBI and uh, the Justice Department. And so that was under the, the, the idea that they were going to publicize that nobody was doing anything about the murders. But it's a surprising interview, for sure. Sorry oh. oh, that's no problem. So, so, Hot dogs uh, are done. Wait. Hold on one second. Yeah, no problem. Because I, I just keep thinking about this... Well, we don't get to see Jeffrey. Do we get to see Jeffrey coming up? No. No. You know, I I ended up I went to see Jeffrey. But well, I did. Uh, Sorry, say that again. So basically, Jeffrey's married a woman named Catherine. And I reached out to her. I spent some time with her down in Maryland, and I had made arrangements with Catherine to go see Jeffrey, but he canceled a week or two before. So. Does he now? Do you think he's canceling because of what Fatal Vision did to him? Because he says he couldn't beat the case once Fatal Vision comes out. There's no way to overcome that. Well, he was already convicted when Fatal Vision came out, so he would had already been convicted. I mean, maybe you could say that about the appeals. I'm not so sure judges watch television and then weigh television against reality. But um, but do they? I, you know, I don't know. I mean, they 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 watch TV they watch like us. Powerful. We know that, right? Right. Anyway, remind me, what was your question? You had a good question. I, I, I did. <laughs> no, I was asking you about Jeffrey. You were saying he canceled right before. And I was saying to you that, uh, you know, I think that's what I was saying. What was my good question? Yeah, your question was, why do you think he canceled? I'm, I'm, not, really, I'm not really sure. I mean, I'm sure he, he feels like storytellers have not done him justice. Except for there's a couple books, like Errol's book and... But he, you know, I remember he, he, his wife had problems with Errol's book as well. I feel like they, they have a, you know, they, they're very protective of their story, you know? The one that's keeping him in jail? No, I think what's keeping him in jail is that he was, he's got three life sentences. And no, no, no. I mean, like, that story is the one that gave you three life sentences. Like, your story that you're protecting is not helping. It's not yeah. getting you where you think it's getting you. So. Yeah. You know, to me, it's suspicious that he wouldn't want to meet. If I was innocent and I was Shawshanked, I would want to meet you in a second. I'd be like, please come, please talk to me. You know, I made the film Capturing the Freedmen's, right? 
Yeah, I do. I mean, well, that affected me deeply capturing the Freedmen's. I was going to get to that. Yeah, don't but, segue. Don't take my segues. I'm sorry. Good segue. I remember. Yeah, when I, sorry, I was going to take your. <laughs> I remember when I contacted Jesse Friedman in prison, that he was come. He was just like, "Come see me. I'll tell you everything." And when we went to see him, Andrew and I. Yep. Sorry, guys. Um, it's all right. Just keep talking. <laughs> Go. Um, he uh, he was like, "Let me give you everything, all my files, everything I have." And that struck me as an, an innocent man. It really did. And, you know, and as I looked into the crime more and more, I became more and more convinced he was innocent. Yeah. And, and look what you did. I mean, and that is a very, I mean, it's a Long Island thing. Are you from Long Island? No, but I'm from oh. Westchester, so it's not far. Right, like Scarsdale? No. Uh, Rye. Rye? Oh, I went to Rye Playland a lot. All right. I worked there. <laughs> did you really? You worked at Rye Playland? I made my way to the drag coaster eventually. That was the only thing to go on. Yeah, it was great. It was great. Although it was kind of rickety, right? When you went off, it kind of like moved in weird ways. You might die. It was like Action Park. <laughs> there was, was a possibility of death. It didn't matter. It was fun. Um, so, so, but in making the Freedmen's, right? I mean, you've gone through this journey before of finding someone and they're, they're innocent and yet accused of this horrific thing. I mean, was that life changing for you? Uh, yeah, I think it was. Um, the Freedmen's thing is very sad for me mm -hmm. because what happened was we tried very hard to talk to the families of the people who were the original complainants, and it was very difficult. Um, obviously, there was a hysteria in Great Neck, Long Island, and the families had gotten very close, and the children were very protected. They were in their 30s at that point. You know? right. uh, we did talk to, to a few of the, not, the people who had brought in to be complainants. After came people and uh, and so we did a 440 motion with Jesse to get his his case looked at again and it just became very political and very difficult and we never got any relief for Je Jesse I mean we got as we went through the courts we were able to get you know some discovery and the promise of discovery but nothing ever changed and you know without opening the book on that case and looking at the original interviews with the children and what happened at, at Long Island's, you know, hospital with the children and the psychiatric part of it. It's going to be very difficult to get the truth in that. I feel like the truth is in capturing the Freedmen's. Yeah. And I think smart people see the truth in capturing the Freedmen's. Mm -hmm. uh, but to definitively do it in a court of law, you have to reopen the case. And Nassau County is just never going to reopen. Well, I know that's where I'm from. So, I mean, I, I understand how NASA works and it's not uh, friendly in the, in any way, especially if it's something that's going to make them have egg on their face. Um, that being said, though, you know, that is life changing in my humble opinion that, you know, you know what happened now, or at least you have a very strong idea of what happened. And yet you're watching the wheels of justice turn in a way that is not justice per se. Yeah, I wish we could have done more for Jesse. Afterwards. Well, you did a lot. Believe me, if anyone was going to do anything for Jesse, that was the most, you know, that's going to be done. That being said, though, it feels like that's a natural and organic way to lead into finding material like this. Here's another guy. There's a bunch of. Uh oh. Did you lose him too? He just froze. Yeah. But he looks good when he does it, right? He looks like he's like, like he's ready to take a left. Um, I'm going to try to get rid of this thing. Well, all right, cool. You want to keep will. talking? Well, no. Well, while you're doing that, I was just curious. You know, we'll we'll go a little sidetrack so we don't we don't get really these questions. You've been kind of a part of some real big touch tones in true crime, right? Yeah. Catfish is now part of the lexicon. That's a word that's added to the dictionary thanks to you guys. 
And the jinx, you know, that that is something that's probably one of the most prominent true crime documentaries of the last 10 years. How do you pick these? I mean, it, it seems very disturbing. You don't have a million of them up there, but the ones that you do are so iconic, have become so iconic um, from these documentaries. What, what's your what's your process like? Um, you know, we we love true crime uh, yeah. at, the, at the house. And so I'm just really curious. You know, it's, it's interesting. That's a good question because I wish I kind of knew. I, I've been pretty <laughs> lucky. I don't know. I mean, I think I'm always looking for stories that have a bigger perspective, mm -hmm. you know, that you can do. But they, you know, true, true crime can get a little bit um, salacious. Absolutely. And, you know, it can get, it, it can be a little bit uh, lowbrow in my particular, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I think, you know, people can get get attracted to it for reasons that, um, that aren't entirely... Um, good for them. So I'm always looking for, for a reason to make, make something right. so crime can lift our consciousness about, you know, who we are as human beings, our society, mm -hmm. whatever it needs to do. If there's a bigger story, like in the jinx, the story is really about how the rich get away with murder. Absolutely. Place, right. Um, and you know, obviously catfish, it's about the internet and how, you know, it came to be in the sense that people are, becoming other people through, right. through the internet, you know? Well, that, and that was, I mean, that one was so interesting because halfway through it, I thought we were going to get another Blair Witch. Like I, it was such a odd, like an interestingly created and structured film. And to, you know, that reveal was so surprising and how it all worked out was such a experience for me that I, I'll always remember that, 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 and, and I just really want to um, acknowledge the way you, you structured that documentary and you guys all worked on that. That was amazing. Yeah, Henry Rell. Yeah, you I know, know. Was great. And Zach Pontier, the editor, did a great job. He worked on the Jinx too. Yeah. When when Angela comes on screen, that's when the film really it becomes. Oh, there's a lot of heart. Absolutely, a hundred percent. Now you say you know, and I I think that that's really interesting what you're saying about true crime because I I feel the same way. My wife adores it. We actually have a true crime podcast that we do every week where we really try and talk about these stories in the form of you know actually kind of reporting them, let them know what's going on. Not, not because I don't like the ones that celebrate the killer, right. That kind of like sensationalize the murderer. I don't, those are the things that I don't love. We want to, you know, we talk about what happened and, and, and want to, you know, kind of uh, monumentalize the, uh, the actual, like the victim and, and talk about what happened and, and not treat the, 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 the killer, like they're the important part of the story. Um, but you know, you've been doing this a long time and I mean, it in different ways and, uh, of looking at it, like, what would your approach be to, uh, you know, if I were to tell my wife, Hey, this is how we're going to approach this from now. And we're going to do it the Mark Smirling way. How would you, how do you approach true crime? Well, I just ask myself, why are we making this? Okay. Well, why, why are we making this? Well, other than that, it's an interesting story about a murder or it's an interesting story about a serial killer or, you know, there's gotta be a better reason for you to spend your time telling that story than just, you know, the TikTok of the crime and and discovering the, the truth of you're yep. you're looking for a larger truth. Yep. And you, know, you can talk about the larger truth every time you sit down to edit and every time you sit down to do the questions for an interview, then you're probably going to make something that has a larger impact. Awesome. No, I think that that's a great thing and I am um, you know, I think that there's a lot to be told right now, especially with the Black Lives Matter pieces. And he's still a little bit frozen, but he he's I think he's on his phone now. Um yeah. but I like his like his shirt. I try. I oh, like that. Yeah. Sounds interesting. 
So, <laughs> oh, poor Cliff. Wait, but we got we don't got you at all. We you you you're there, but you're not really there. Um. So so um. We'll well let's get back into this while he's we'll still figure him out. So we got two more episodes left. Yeah. Um, so, what's next? Do you? I mean, what's next? Where, 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 I'm doing a an HBO series that's a, about a really much bigger. It's about a crime, but it's it's about much bigger issues. With the director is Nan Fu Wang. I'm executive producing. I'm really excited about it. Um, I can't tell you what it's about though. Well, that's okay. <laughs> that's uh, we'll, come in. We'll, we'll get it. Yeah. So now we got we got Cliff back. Thank you for uh, indulging me on that stuff. We're we're junkies over here, and uh, yeah, like I said, um, mostly I'm coming at you from as a as a big fan of everything you're making. So I'll let I'll let Cliff go back. Sorry about that. So I don't know. Did you see everything dim in my house? No, you lost your electricity. It w- no, I didn't. It just went like jump, like it was like everything dimmed and then came right back on, but everything shut off. Aliens are I, they are real, but that's a whole. Will you do a documentary on that, please, Mark? <laughs> just on like you know, take the side that we're all crockpots and then prove us wrong or right. Okay, so here's a question I do want to ask you though. Um, well, where I left off, actually, because I didn't get to hear your response, and, and I don't know how deep you got into it before you realized that I was no longer there, but it seems to me that it's a natural, organic place when you come across it with the Freedmans, where you see this thing, this innocent person, now you get to this place with this, you know, wilderness of, of doubt, right, was what I want to call it, you know, and I know it's wilderness of error, but I just, I feel like there's so much, like you said, the prism, this is an organic place to go from, from the Freedmans, it feels like, was this the next thing, really, and how long did this take you? Wilderness. Yeah. Uh, it took two and a half years. I mean, everybody in the story had been interviewed, re-interviewed. There was nobody running to the camera and saying, I want to go through this again. You know? so, <laughs> so it took a while to gain people's trust, you know, and to, and to get people to sit down for interviews. You know, Cliff was a rarity. Uh, Cliff, the prosecutor from the military trial. He, uh, he was pretty willing, but most people were like, you know what, I didn't like the way I was portrayed or I didn't like the story that was told before. And man, this thing had been told. Dateline multiple times, 2020, 60 minutes. I mean, everybody had done the story multiple times. I mean, how many no's do you get when you're starting something like that? I'm just asking for myself because I want to know, like, is it inspiring? I would say you get about 40, 50 percent no's. Wow. And you, you try to, you know, you try to just... Convince people you, they can trust you. They, whatever it is, good or bad for them, it's going to be truthful. You know, and you're going to do the work. That you know, you know, a lot of people don't do the work because they don't have the time to do the work. They don't have the, the budget to do the work. And luckily, because effects was generous, we were able to get a team, investigative team together and really dig. And that's how we found a lot of the materials we found. You know, and also go through all the transcripts. You know, and figure out what the trial was like. Figure out what the Article Thirty Two was like. Are you reading all those? Oh yeah, you're reading everything. How long is that taking? A long time. <laughs> there are thousands of pages, man. Yeah, there's nothing like a big transcript on a Sunday. You know, with a cup of coffee. Dostoevsky or a transcript? I mean, you can go through War and Peace again before you'd get through the transcript. Yeah, and I hire a lot of really smart people, like really smart young people, who help me get through the material. You know, so because my memory's you know fading and their memory's getting stronger. So, you know, they're, I mean, it's it's a it's I have the great job. I have this great job where we get to kind of go back in time and look at all these things and we talk about it constantly. We're we're constantly trying to keep uh, in between the the guilt and innocence, trying to figure out 
you know, an unbiased way what the truth is and to present it in a way that the audience gets to make their, their, their own decision about what they think. Obviously, you sort of made your decision already. No, I'm still waiting for the end. I have to tell you. I, I mean, I had made my decision previous to this, you know, right. uh, mini series, mini docuseries. Uh, it does not seem mini. I have to tell you that, that word does not sit right with me. It's yeah. a massive docuseries that happens to be in five parts. Yeah. Um, but yes, it's like if the prosecution and the defense got together with a whole bunch of money and said, let's see if we can prove or not prove this case. And we'll th- it was like if CSI really existed and you can go do all that. Right. I mean, what is this investigate? That's fascinating. So you hire an investigative team where in North Carolina? No, no. I have them here in New York. They're usually young journalists. Sometimes I prefer people who come from investigative backgrounds or from mm-hmm. magazine or newspaper journalism as opposed to television. Um, but sometimes they're television people. Um, they have to be able to, you know, charm people to, you know, go down to the courthouse in Raleigh, North Carolina, make friends with the clerk and get paperwork. And Wait, so you're sending them all over. Yeah, we're sending them all over. They And we, we're That's going out there as well, you know, and then we bring it all back here to New York. And we found like those Freddie audio tapes of him from the phone calls. Those were found in Wisconsin in the garage of the executor of his estate. Christine McTavish, and she had a lot of really good stuff. And, you know, those are the aha moments when you're like, hey, we don't have to actually have people talking about Freddie and what he did. Hear Freddie, and we can put the viewer right in the room with Freddie while he's doing it using recreation and these tapes. You know, so you you as a viewer can be, make your own decision about Freddie, because Freddie's been either cast as a fanatic, you know, who is so broken by this murder that he went on this tirade to convict his son-in-law, or he was a guy looking for the truth, looking for justice. So on that journey, you know, you get to make that decision because you're listening to Freddie firsthand. Yeah, I'm going to, I went with the latter so far on that with Freddie. I I mean, you know, here's the thing, right? And I've got, we've gotten into extensive conversations and we've had people on the show about the Marilyn Manson stuff Mm -hmm. and, you know, uh, Charlie, Charlie Manson. What did I say? Marilyn Manson. His new album's great, by the way. So if you're looking for something to download, please download that. That being said, Charlie Manson. I wish it was Marilyn. It would be. You know, I made music videos for Marilyn Manson. Back no, way. are you serious? Yeah, I made. Music which, which ones? Come on. I can't remember the songs. I made so many of them. I had a company that made music videos. Oh, that's so cool. Oh, okay. sorry. Go ahead. I love Marilyn Manson. Okay, sorry. Charlie Manson, on the other hand, is a piece of shit. So let's talk. But what I'm saying is we had so much extensive investigation between our show and the people, all the people we've had on through these documentaries. And the one thing I saw is the Roman Polanski side of it. You know, he was looking at all his friends. He was doing the same thing Freddie was doing. The difference is they found the people because that's what happens most of the time in murders like this. They actually find the people. Mm, yeah. That didn't happen here, so Freddie didn't go nuts, in my opinion. He just went nuts trying to find the truth. Have you read Helter Skelter? It's one of the great true crime. Oh, yeah. It's so, fantastic. It really is. It, I think it may be the best-selling true crime book of all time. I mean, it's so well done, you know, and, and it really takes you through the original investigation, how it sort of was fumbled. It's a lot of parallels. It's why I'm bringing it up. Yeah. And uh, and then later on, when they found the gun, they, they started figuring it out, and of course— you know, right. And some might say when reading these things, it took too long you know, to, yeah. to figure it out. But, you know, you did see Roman and he was literally like swabbing people's brake pads for fingerprints and blood of his friend's cars. So, you know, and that's Roman Polanski. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. That's amazing. This is what I'm 
so so these people do get kind of uh, obsessed into these into these things. But you didn't hire um, like a professional, like a private investigator firm. There was no need for that, right? I have done that in the past, just for little specific tasks that I think that they would be better at than we would be, but not all. Not so, all. but you said something about finding these Freddie tapes, the Freddie Kasab tapes in uh, Wisconsin. Did you say? Mm-hmm. Right, and in, in the executor of his estate. And and here's the thing, right? So explain this to me. Now you have a hell of a track record, so it's much easier for you to go in and say, "Give me money," you know, for this documentary that I'm going to do. But you don't have these things yet, so you're like, "Trust me, we're going to find stuff." Like, how are you pitching this? If you don't mind me asking, because it's fascinating. This is such a behemoth to me. Well, you start with little documentaries and you make bigger documentaries. <laughs> That's how you do it. I mean, and then you get to walk in the room and be like, yeah, I'm going to do this next. And they're like, okay, sure, go ahead. <laughs> largely, you know, a lot of the stuff you find is in plain sight. It's just nobody's looking or they haven't looked or they haven't put two things side by side and said, oh, look how that fits. You know, so a lot of it is actually, it's in the world, but nobody's done the work to, to kind of see it, you know, because they're Excavate moving. It. You know, so, you know, I mean, yeah, I've, I've been very lucky. I mean, you know, uh, Lux once home when we found the videotapes of the home movies, which was a whole story unto itself. You know, I remember uh, I, I shot a lot of capturing the Friedmans. I was setting up the camera in David Friedman's house and I backed up into a, I, it was so crowded in there. I had to open the door to a closet and in the closet, there's a box of videotapes. I'm moving the box of videotapes so I can sit on a little stool behind the camera and I look inside and I pick one up and let, it says Jesse's last night. And I was like, put that down and start talking to David. It took a long time for David to trust us enough to let us watch those videotapes. And you knew they were sitting there. Yeah, they were sitting in his closet. That's a hell of a... Uh, you're here for a red light, aren't you, Jason? Yeah, I'm here. I mean, I that's a gonna, hell of a story to end on, I have to it say. It is a great Holy story. So I want to end on that story. And then um, basically, we're going to let you go. But I wanted to play the trailer for everybody so you can see a little bit of this. Uh, well, there's some very documentary, um, just the, the trailer for FX. And I wanted to say thank you very much, Mark. This has been amazing. Yeah, Mark. It was fun. Thank you, guys. Thank, thank you. you so much. All right, awesome. All right, let's watch the trailer. Wilderness of Error, FX, and Hulu. Can I put the sound down? Oops, yeah, sound up. Take the place of reality. infamous crime happened back in 1970. Dr. Jeffrey McDonald has been charged with the murders of his pregnant wife and their two young daughters. McDonald blamed the crime on a group of hippies. Hippies. I love this announcer. Either Jeffrey McDonald slaughtered his family and That's then tried to hide that fact. Or there were intruders imitating the Manson family, including a girl with a floppy hat attempted to kill him and killed his family. The jury was convinced he's in prison. Well, they are innocent people in jail. If somebody kills your daughter and two grandchildren, are you supposed to sit back and do nothing about it? It's got to have been a painful experience for Very you. Painful. Emotionally, financially. This was a good man. He loved his children. Jeff's not the kind of guy who does this. This case had so much publicity. It was on the headlines every day. The best-selling book, the miniseries. The television movie, Fatal Vision. Millions of people saw Jeffrey McDonald killing his family. It solidified people's views about the case. Does it seem strange to you that no one else has confessed 
it's not really quite accurate to say that no one has confessed. This was the idea that Floppy had. She said she was involved in the Jeffrey McDonald murders. You think it is a personal vendetta against you? The easy answer is to jump and say yes. That's the thread you grab and you start pulling on it till you unravel the damn sweater. The mystery is about what happened that house many many people have gone back over this wandering in that wilderness of conflicting evidence of mistakes and errors when you think it's over with the story is just beginning wilderness of error fx and hulu i mean it, it, by the way the reenactments are so fucking eerie Oh, I know. It's it's really great. And I mean, what a great show. I mean, Mark's amazing. Like, you think about it. He's done. He's so done. Pissed. I missed 10 minutes of that. He, what did you guys talk about? You have well, to tell me offline. I just talked about I'm all the other stuff he's done, you know, like he did the jinx, you know, he did. He did catfish. The, you know, he's got a word in the dictionary. Catfish means a whole different thing. Thanks to him. You know, this is one of the. That's why I was like trying to take my time and building this and then I get cut off. But like, this is one of the most prolific. And by the way, most, uh, what, what's the, um, it's not influential. It's, it's, he gets stuff done. It's like, uh, his yeah. documentaries change the history of things. Right. It's, they're iconic. These are touchstones. I mean, he's not even he that captured Robert Durst. Right. I mean, it's not even that he's prolific. I mean, he's done six, you know, he's got three, you know, three movies and three shows. No, no, no you're missing my point. I'm but sorry. He got, he's prolific in what he's changed just by oh, yeah. his six documentaries. Think oh, about I know. the history changing. Oh, yeah. If you do it once. I think the definition of prolific means you've done a lot of things. Yeah, and he's changed history a lot. He's changed oh, history more than once. Oh, he's, he's, a, he's prolific in his history changing. That's what I'm saying. Got it, got it, got it. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, he doesn't, I, well, that's, well that, that's why I'm, I, I, I'm so obsessed. Is like, he's done three things and all three of them are fucking iconic, yeah. right? Like, By the way, he's like, yes. He's like Pixar before they did a fucking... Uh, did uh that that car fucking bullshit and just ruined their whole thing like it's like oh sorry fucking <laughs> life fucking everything's great up all that shit and then dumb car movie and fucking ruins it he's pre car movie pixar is what i'm yeah. saying but by the way it, it, it it's just one of these things where you're talking to someone who really is at the level of martin scorsese at, as far as what he's doing the the, the impact his documentaries are making and that's what he does he's not like oh i'll do this and i'll do that it's like no i'm gonna make yeah. these really impactful documentaries you know he's done he did that movie about the robert durst murders before he the the, the fictional one with ryan gosling before he did the jinx yeah. uh but i mean he's the one that brought that whole thing into the lexicon now there's there's characters i mean fred armiston did, uh, did a fred durst on uh no not on, fred durst don't in, don't, don't confuse durst. it Sorry, same. It's great. Oh, I, I don't know. I think the, the same Durst. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Robert Durst. Uh, sorry, Fred. Um, yeah. Robert awesome. Durst on yeah. uh, Kimmy Schmidt, like that that whole thing, the whole bathroom, like uh, <laughs> uh, admittance of guilt kind of thing. Like this is <laughs> these are iconic pieces. Catfish is not just yeah. a show, but it's a it's a it's changed the lexicon of how we reference things. People get catfished all the time now. Uh, they didn't before. People just faked. There wasn't a term like that for that anymore. You know. Yeah, anymore. when it was happening to me, I didn't know what it was. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I was like, I'm sorry about that. I just thought you were so cute in those pictures. Um, <laughs> Listen, that's how we became friends. <laughs> you know, I forgave you. It was very uh, monumental. In, in yeah. my What's funny is I had a very similar beard in those pictures. It was just a different, different body. Um, <laughs> What's up, buddy? I'm just, Cracking I'm yourself just, up today? 
sometimes, you know, for me, a lot of this stuff is, it's very dark, you know, when we start talking about this stuff in these pieces, but like, yeah, I hang on to the weirdest things. Like the woman in the floppy hat reminds me of the, the man in the yellow hat from curious George. So all I can see is like, huh. you know, like this, her carrying this little monkey along with her. You know? right, Cause it's so grisly. Yeah. You need something to be like soft. Like attached to, I want to call somebody that you were talking his name kebab just cause it was a, it's a better name for me. I can connect to those names. Um, but yeah, I think that, you know, this, this, this thing, like I said, I was telling you earlier, um, me and my wife can watch this, um, you know, and we enjoy this together and it's just a, you know, phenomenal, phenomenal. I've been watching it with you. Oh yeah. 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 This is, I mean, and she knows a lot of this stuff, but she really, this is a story that kind of miss, she missed too. Interesting. This is one of the ones that I did not miss. Yeah. That's why I was very interested in it before I even knew Mark was coming on. And then you get Mark on and it's like, I mean, honestly, I need a couple of hours with that guy. I mean, just to talk about I, such a great it, man, it, you know, and he, he really has kind of branded his style of, of what he does and how he does it. You can tell it's the same director, the same, you know, creative. Do yeah. that, Jason? Um, I was looking up some of the other pieces that he did. I was just kind of looking at, I, cause I haven't seen capturing the Freedmans either. I, I want to see that one. Best line of the whole interview, though, is, is when he said, Errol, he goes, Errol won Academy Award. I go, I, he goes, I don't think he knew that I was nominated for one when we started this. <laughs> I, I think was the, for a couple. I oh, think yeah. Catfish and uh, uh, the Jinx, maybe. Oh, it wasn't no, Friedman's? It, it was Friedman's, sorry. Yeah, it was Friedman's. And, yeah. uh, and Catfish. And, uh, yeah. He put something in the lexicon. Thank God there's a name for it. Yep. Got he's you know I think he got a palm at for uh, palm uh, uh let's see it says grand jury prize at Sundance for capturing oh at Sundance Sundance that wasn't palm wasn't can all right so I mean this is what I'm saying and tomorrow we have Aaron Go- I mean it's like are you kidding oh, yeah. yeah say his last name for me because I can't uh I feel like it's Gudikowski Aaron Gudikowski yeah. yeah yeah I just don't I can't I'll, I'll call him am I right yeah you are oh, okay. I just want you to say it so I don't mess it up. Yeah, Aaron Gudikowski. Like you say Aaron wrote prisoners. You know, it's like I believe that you know it, and I will mess it up. Um, uh, one of the oddities that usually would be the opposite. Uh, yeah, but I mean, he wrote prisoners. You know, raised by wolves. Oh, we get the season finale tonight too. The season finale is available now, I believe. I know, um, but I just I, I've been acting like it's not, so I can watch so, it tonight. Yep. So here's what I want everybody to do. I want everybody to watch it tonight. I want everybody to watch it tomorrow because we are going full spoilers tomorrow. This is not a. We are not holding back, but you really need to watch this show. All your questions are going to be answered. If you have questions, mm. if you want to have questions, if you haven't watched it yet and you don't think you'll have questions, watch it and you'll have questions. You will. You need to come out. You need to watch this thing. It's going to be a big deal. He's a great guy, and he has been teasing a bunch of stuff that we haven't got to see yet. And tomorrow we get to ask him all the questions that we couldn't ask at the beginning of the season. And we will definitely pick some of your questions to let him answer. 100%. And this so, is like a spotlight Q and A with Aaron Gudikowski, and and we're gonna go through the whole season. Believe me, I, from the first. And, and, oh, by the way, catch up on the first episode with Aaron a couple of weeks ago, uh, where I only got to go through a page and a half of my three or four pages of notes and questions. Yeah. So we'll be continuing that, and then I'll have more once we watch yeah. this. And they've already been renewed, so you know he's probably already finished the second season. Also, um, you know, before or after you watch that, depending on whether you need a palate cleanser or an aperitif, the season finale of uh, Ted Lasso's tonight at 9 p.m. Pacific or midnight Eastern time, which if I lived on the East Coast, I'd wait until midnight. I'd watch it. I'd go to bed. I'd wake up in the middle of the night, watch it again, go to the bathroom, maybe have a lemonade, and then go back to sleep, wake up in the morning, watch Ted Lasso a third time, cry a little bit, 
take a shower and uh, whistle a Mumford and Sons song. Well, you know what I did? What? I watched because I couldn't go to bed after watching Wilderness. <laughs> Wilderness of Error is like you, the stuff that's in there. I, he holds no punches. So I could, so I had to watch something funny. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to watch the last three episodes leading up to the season finale for Ted Lasso. I discovered a few things. Yeah? And some interesting stuff I didn't realize. Tell me. Well, first thing I didn't realize is that when, when, do you know how Keeley figured out? Because remember, uh, for some reason, I had this thought that Keeley somehow knew what Rebecca was up to. Oh, no, it was because he was on a date. She and they, they, there, there was the photographer taking their picture, and they went to beat him up. And or they, they asked him to take a picture, then took his camera, and they found it because it was the same photographer that, was, that took the photos at the, um, at the Tiger Panda. Yeah, I, I miss those two things being connected. I, you know, I mean, I guess that's just weed. But, you know, so, so but then what I, what I didn't realize is that that's what she was telling her to tell Ted. She wasn't saying go, you know, admit no. everything. She could have just said, I did that. No, she didn't have to say everything. She just knew that. And I mean, there's going to be a, why did you, you know, I mean, I think Keely kind of figured that out too. It's why did you do all the stuff? Right. Right. There's she doesn't happen. know. And yeah, that's the other know. thing, because when Jamie says, you know, uh, when Lasso had me sent back to Manchester and she goes, oh, I, he didn't do that. And he's like, no, he did. He knew. And he let it happen. And she couldn't argue because she doesn't know what Rebecca did. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That, that was interesting too. Yep. And what I also found out is that Brett Goldstein, who plays Roy, uh, Roy mm -hmm. Kent, is a writer on the show as well. No way. Yeah. He's an executive oh. story editor. He's awesome. Yeah. Remember mm -hmm. I told you he's like my favorite. No. Yeah. No. Mm -hmm. no. Like, mm. <laughs> you want to come back? What do you talk? <laughs> but he's a comedian. So I'm going to start cool. watching his stand up too. That's awesome. Maybe we need to figure out a way to get him over here, especially if he's the writer on that show. We got to talk to him. And then the woman who wrote episode nine, Phoebe Walsh, is a, also a story editor. She's like junior beneath Brett. Like Brett's an executive story editor and she's a story editor. Um, and she wrote episode nine, which again, you, you have to know that that is a loving room when they're giving the, exec the story editor a script in the first yeah. season. First of all, she's great. So First of all, it's one of the best episodes of the season, if not the best episode of the season. But a lot of shows wouldn't even, you know, a lot of, I don't want to say, you know, there's a lot of people in this business who, as great as someone like Phoebe is, she wouldn't even get noticed in a room. And they'd overlook her talent. Oh, you're a story editor. There's a senior white dude above you. And there's, you know, uh, like, you know, write an outline. Senior white dude is one of my favorite, like. Uh, senior white dude. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Hamburger-based uh, taco restaurant, Senior White Dude. Is that a place? No. Let's open it. <laughs> Let's open that place, Senior White Dude. That'd go over big nowadays. That'd go over big. Yeah, that'd yeah. be Senior White Dude. That would be where Babo Supreme. Yeah. yeah, you could actually probably order a Babo Supreme at the uh, at, at Senior White, White Dude. Yeah. Oh boy, this is going to be an interesting show. Uh, this is going to be an interesting cast. Uh, <laughs> uh, so I figured that out, and and uh, you know, it made the apology a lot different for me. You know, that she was not up against this, like, I have to tell him everything. No. No, I mean, I mean, that's the reality, and that's just playing the real situation there. I mean, it's it may have been something she had no choice what to do because Keely said you need to tell her because it's not it wasn't even necessarily about making it feel better for Ted, but she I think she really appreciated Keely's friendship. 
a lot yes. at that point, right? They they got drunk in the carriage together. They did all these things together. So that friendship was important too. And as much as he, she didn't want to hurt Ted or admit to her bad stuff, it wasn't worth losing her friendship with Keely over. But after that other piece, she also recognized that she needed to rebuild and 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 really truly apologize to Ted also, like that, you know. And I think that yeah. that's that com that double one two punch of it, like. There's the action of apologizing in order to retain her female friendships, which she had not had a lot of, mm -hmm. or at least not respected enough, you know, with her friends from, you know, back home to also recognizing that this person only has the best of intentions for her. And she, she owes it to them to, 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 to kind of fess up after everything that happened. So, yeah. And I think on the biggest thing, it was a realization that this is actually her family Yep, and that whatever she was holding on to is just ridiculous so that's like now we're all united for this game against manchester united oh so exciting i know it really is i gotta say if anyone's looking for, if you're looking for something to watch i don't think you've watched this yet um i think it's called uh the playbook on hmm. netflix no i don't think i have wow and you know me i don't I, I don't give a crap about sports in any way shape or form but it is a, a five-part docuseries on some of the best coaches Ever like Doc Rivers, uh, or Jill Ellis, who coached the women uh, football, you know, soccer team, uh -huh. the World Cup and the Olympics, and um, Don Staley, coach, yeah, yeah, who uh, brought uh, University of was it North Carolina, South the, Carolina, the, yeah, the was it the Cockburns or something? Uh, it's a weird name for a women's yeah. basketball team. I'm telling you, I, I'm shocked they haven't changed it. Is it the Cockburns? I don't know. <laughs> Let me see. No, I'm serious. I'm not making a joke. It's something like that. I might be wrong, like usual. No, I, I'm not. I don't think you're lying. I just. It like, has the word cock in it. I'm a child, and every time you say it, like yeah, when cock. You, when the cock burns. Yeah. But, it, no, it's not just cock. It's cock burns, star burns. It's cock burns. Is it? Um, no. Is it cock burns? Let's see. So she's the game cock. Gamecocks. Game I mean, it might as well be the Cockburns. You know, and, and it's funny because she's, you know, no one even talks about that. She took this team from nothing. There was no one there. And the way she did it, as opposed to Doc Rivers, I learned about Ubuntu. Do you know about Ubuntu? Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. I, I did not. So now I have all this reading to do. <laughs> but it's, it, it's, it's absolutely inspiring. And uh, it has nothing to do with sports. They're actual real insightful lessons and, and every one of them, I couldn't stop watching. Uh, it was, it was like, uh, I ingested them in, in a second. That's awesome. I'm, I'm, I'm looking at these right now. Like, and then oh, I'm looking at them. I'm just looking at them on the, um, on the Netflix thing and all the different ones that they have. They had the Serena mm -hmm. Williams coach and it's, it looks, it looks awesome. I'm going to, I'm going to check that out. I like that kind of stuff. Yeah. It's very uplifting. I, like and I found it like a good, we don't have to wait now, but I found it a nice little patch, like a nicotine patch for Ted Lasso. Because there's like two about football, you know, soccer. <laughs> That's awesome. And you get to really see like, oh, there's stuff that they're, you know, we're see I'm seeing how, you know, it's about why soccer, why they chose soccer to do the show. Mm -hmm. Because much more so, you know, you hear it in like soccer's a religion or football, excuse me, but it's soccer here. We have to call it what it is in America, right? right? But ac across the rest of the world, this is a thing that is, it's a religion. People and it's one of those games that can be played by anybody. That's why, kind of like basketball, it's not a sport that requires money to play. You can be poor and have a soccer ball and kick it around. It's yep. something that unites people in a way that not a lot of other sports can because it's the, of the simplicity and the complexity of the game. Right, and we got the boys coming out. Right, so we got new boys, new Ted Lasso, and watch Raised by Wolves season finale because we will have Aaron Gudikowski on Friday's episode. Spoiler alert across the board. Across the board. So we're done, right? We're done. We're done. Okay. So everybody, 
Stay safe, stay sane, stay strong. Jason Smith. Don't forget, Baba Supreme. Love you. Variety.com, Baba Supreme. <laughs> <laughs>